My name is Chris Cherry. I used to be a spy. My name is Brie Castellini. I used to be a person who didn't like whiskey. And this is Burn Notice, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece Burn Notice about Michael Weston, a spy. Throughout this podcast, we will be reading each episode on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, a great episode of television, or C, a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, wait until the end where we'll explain them. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan, please get in touch. You can send us questions, suggestions, compliments, and no criticism of any kind to burnnoticepodcast at gmail.com or to our Twitter at burnnoticedpod. And as always, it is burnnoticed with a D because it's the name of the podcast and not the name of the show. Yep. So you you drink whiskey now? This is your thing? So you drink the whiskey drink? I, well, not the so vodka currently, drink? <laughs> I prefer vodka, frankly, because it mixes better. So I started drinking whiskey shots because of my cough, which I do still have, although I'm hoping this new inhaler and nose spray regimen I'm on will solve that for me. But my mom made a comment a couple weeks ago, like, you know what helps with like coughs, especially chest coughs, whiskey. And so I tried it and it does help. Remember during our last episodes, I was I had a shot of whiskey next to me. That's while we right. Were I remember you told um, me. I have now officially drank so much whiskey in the past couple of weeks that I don't even hate it anymore. I would say I, I like it. I wouldn't I say like I whiskey. would order it on my own, like if I was at a bar. But if somebody had whiskey at a party and was like, who wants a glass of whiskey? I might take one now. It's and I my go-to that. drink. Ugh. It is my go-to drink. It used to just taste like gasoline and now it tastes like sweet, sweet chest relief. It does. No, I don't know. See, to me, like, I mean, because, like, vodka tastes like gasoline to me. But the thing is, like, vodka you mix. Well, you don't drink vodka straight. You mix That's what I'm saying. It's like, I, like, if I'm going to drink something straight, it's going to be whiskey. Like, I think it's, like, the best thing to drink straight. I don't think either of us are ever drinking straight, Chris. That's fair. I'm assuming that's, like, a sexuality joke. Just to be very clear, I do often drink whiskey straight. That is. (laughs) Wait, you're not straight? You're not a straight girl? What the fuck? You're not a basic straight girl? Uh, you know what? Our whole um, relationship is a lie. Yeah. No, I'm very straight. I am a heterosexual girl. I have, I, I have always known you as straight Chris. Everyone knows you as straight Chris. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have a heart out about this joke anymore. So do you want to talk about the episode? No, but that's a good segue for our episode hey. called Hard Out. <laughs> it is season Hello. five, episode eight. It aired August 11th, 2011. It was written by Rashad Rizani and directed by a guy named Greg Siebels. This is Greg's first burn notice as a director, but it looks like he got his start in the burn notice art department and has mostly stayed in the family since then. He's worked on a lot of Big Daddy Nix's shows and he was a producer on Ben Watkins' show, Hand of God, which I believe he talked about forever ago. Mm-hmm. Like Ben Watkins' weird, like, Judge God show. It's not about a God, judge guy. Has it but been like, made? I don't remember. No, no, it existed. Yeah. I think it ran for like two seasons and then it was like, yeah. But like, yeah, he's mostly just kind of hung around, worked on stuff. But he, he also, I noticed that in 2017, when he was like way too famous to be working on shorts, not famous, but like, he's like way too like he regular worker to work on shorts. He worked on a short. I mean, a lot of people who are in the industry still make shorts so that they have, like, it's like stuff they do in the off season. Exactly. And he did a he was a producer on a short called There Shall Come Angels. And Bree and I are going to watch it right now. Uh, If you'll remember, Chris needs to finish this quickly. Exactly. Um, so, of course, if you remember we're going to spend five week, minutes watching a- There Shall Come Angels. I want Bree to watch this Oh, with me. fuck. Matt Nix wrote it. Yeah. I spent all day yesterday trying to figure out if I should send it to you yesterday and, like, not I was, and not let you know what oh, it was. Oh, Lauren Samuel's in it. Exactly. Isn't yeah. She Agent Phila or Agent Pierce? Yes, she is Agent Pierce. Oh, and then several people with the last name Nix are in it. Yes. No. Um... Is this like a family affair? This is a family affair. Matt Nix's kids are in this. It was like co-directed by Matt Nix and an editor on Yo Gabba Gabba? (laughs) What? Uh, The holiday horror classic. Yes. Oh my God. Chris, I'm so excited. All right. I'm going to make sure that my sound is on so that my mic picks this up. Okay, cool. Have you watched this yet? Yes, I have watched this. All right. Well, I'm going to click play in three, two, one. Welcome, my friends, as I tell you a fable of the spirit of Christmas. So stay 
if you're able. 10 out of 10. So many stars. This should have won an Oscar. Oh my god. Yeah. So yeah, like the the premise of that video is just that they're carolers. They're like these young children who are definitely like Matt Nix's kids and these other kids. I assume neighbors. I don't know. Like, I don't know how these two people know each other. The other guy, again, works on Yo Gabba Gabba. Like, <laughs> wow. Incredible. And, yeah. So and so good. like, it's, there's like these children singing and like, they sing so nice. And the people that they're singing to are so nice. This happy couple that like Christmas magic pays all of their bills and gives them like more presents and things. But then there's a of mean course. man who like puts the fucking sprinklers on them. And so they sing and their eyes go black and then like dark, like shadowy mists, like, causes this guy to like get like his hand like like a glass to break in his hand and he's bleeding everywhere and then he gets stabbed and then like his house is set on fire this has 50 views on vimeo i can't believe that you found this treasure trove also something interesting that i just noticed this is on matt fackrell the yoga bagaba guy's uh vimeo page in the short film the written by credits page is just written by matt nix but in the comments in the descript video description the writer is matt nix and matt fackrell so i think matt fackrell like tried to get a writing credit and matt nix said no for whatever reason but then because it's on matt's channel or matt uh fackrell's vimeo channel he still credited himself as the writer in the description box he is credited as a writer on imdb i bet he made it then yeah. there's some kind of drama here because in the actual there's credits drama. i am looking at the screen that i says know i have by too. i saw it so it just low. says written by matt nix i know it is amazing yeah, I want to know about, like, the dreadful fallout that happened over arguments over writing credits of this, like, Christmas video. Anyway, I, I needed that you to know that- That was a tangent. Thank you for this tangent. I needed you to know that this existed. It's well I, shot, I too. I know it now. Yeah, it's, it's fun. It's but a fun The special effects could be better. Those kids are creepy. They're, like, those are some really creepy kids. Good job yeah, on Matt Fackerel and Matt Nix for having creepy children. I feel like most kids can be creepy. It's not hard for kids to be creepy. This is fair. All right. Well, unfortunately, but we, we have to get all... back to Burn Notice. So what's this Burn Notice all... episode about? All right. This episode of Burn Notice, however, is Michael goes on a CIA mission to stop a team of mercenaries in the Bahamas, while Fee is forced to turn a shady arms dealer from her past to get information for Michael. Forced is a strong word, and later in the episode, I will have thoughts about- I will also have thoughts? The way that that goes down. Oh, also, yes. Also, did you know that that's Gavin Rosdale? Gwen oh, Stefani's honey, I know that that's Gavin Rosdale. <laughs> We're going to talk about it. Uh, where are we going to talk about it, Chris? Well, in the weeds. Of course, in the weeds. Let's get in there. Michael and Fee, we start with them discussing the bomb from last week and how, like, it was a good bomb. And, like, Fee admires the bomb, which I did, too. Like, one thing I liked about, like, the bomb from last week was, like, the whole depth explosion trigger thing was very cool. And Fee's like, yeah, I wish I thought of it. But it is also a bomb that's going to be very hard to trace. But Fee says that she knows a guy who might be able to help, but she does not like him. But she will go to him. She also reminds Michael that they're supposed to meet Madeline for lunch the next day. And it's then we cut to next here. No, before we cut to the next day, it's very, very important that Fiona is the one who comes up with this guy, and Fiona is the one who's Fiona, like, I've got to yes. go see this guy. Fiona is the one is the one whose idea this is. Whose idea this was. And I think like Michael was like, Are you sure? Like Michael is doing due diligence here when she seems uncomfortable about it. She's like, no, yeah, I gotta, I, I'm gonna do this. And Michael's like, okay, it's very important. But yes, I do really like this cut because like, there's this like nice little dip to black for a second. And we cut to like Michael driving Madeline and Fee to the state that they're on. And the next day, um, and he just looks really distracted. And it's a good cut because they're going to meet Madeline's new beau, Benny, who has <laughs> a glass bottom boat. And they're all very Glass excited about it. boat and the boots with the fur. <laughs> the whole club is looking at Benny. <laughs> and Michael doesn't seem happy about it, but like, it's a thing that's happening. However, they are pulled over by some motorcycle dudes. And Fee realizes that, oh yeah, the guy that I need to get in touch with, he's getting in touch with me now. These are his motorcycle dudes. This is like his MO. So she has to like, leave the date 
which presumably does not happen. Although I'd kind of like to think that it did. <laughs> but this Michael went and hung out with B- Benny and Madeline. But yeah, Fee has to get on a motorcycle with these guys and go meet her bomb-making contact. And she, like, meets him. His name is Armand. She meets him at his, like, suave rich guy h- hanger because he's a suave British rich dude who is for some reason played by Gavin Rossdale from the band Bush and also who was married to Gwen Stefani. I don't know if this is like a weird meta joke about the fact that like he's a bomb expert and the most famous Bush song is called Glycerin. I don't know if that's- I don't know anything about honestly either Gwen Stefani or Gavin Rossdale. I just know that they were married and are famous. They are famous. They are married. Like he does not act like a ton. Like he's done some acting- But, like, a lot of times it's just him, like, playing himself. It's weird that he's here. Like, he's fine in the episode. Like, he's not bad. And it's it's weird that he's here and he's not, like, playing a rock star. It seems like other times when he's been on TV shows, he's played, like, a rock star. I think he's trying to act. I was telling Brie before we recorded that in the process of doing notes for this episode, I got distracted by a lot of tangents. Because I was not that interested in the episode. And I learned a lot about Gavin Rossdale. It's not that interesting. You don't need to know it. But I did spend a lot of time looking into the life of Gavin Rossdale. The most interesting thing that I learned is that apparently um, Gavin Rossdale dated this other guy in the 80s and then denied it for years. And then, like, when he finally admitted that he dated this other guy, he was like, yeah, no, I was just, like, kind of experimenting or whatever. But, like, by all accounts, this other guy was like, no, this was the love of my life. And, like, he still talks about it. And I just feel so sad for this guy. Just, like, clearly, like, this was such an important relationship for one of them. And, like, for Gavin Rossdale, it was just, like, this kind of, like, moment of figuring himself out. And that's the thing that kind of makes me uncomfortable, especially, like, as, like, a person who's still trying to figure herself out, like, you don't, nothing exists in a vacuum and you're, like, always doing, like, you're entering into relationships with people and that there's a responsibility to that. And, like, that's shit that scares me, personally. I just never want to be Gavin Rossdale. Anyway, he has, he has info. He can find out about this bomb. But first, he needs something in return. He wants her to steal a truck for him from, like, a weapons manufacturer. And she's like, yeah, I'll do it. She's got no choice. No choice in the matter. None whatsoever. So Fee and Michael tell Sam that we're going to have to steal this van. And Sam's not happy about this job. But Fee needs Sam to help because Michael is busy with another CIA job from Pierce, who's back. So Michael meets with Pierce, who's been busy looking into Leeds and Max's murder. But she's decided that nothing has panned out elsewhere in the country so she's gonna focus on miami because the the murder happened in miami and she's gonna find the killer in miami and michael is not happy about that but before they can do any of that they need to go to the caribbean and extract a bad guy because the cia wants info on this bad guy and what he's up to and it's well, they're basically not- they're trying to get like a, a bad guy messenger like he himself yeah. like he's a bad guy but he's not like he's not bad the guy. bad guy yeah, he's not the bad guy, certainly. Exactly. He's like the sniveling want- messenger, and they, they think if they can pluck the messenger out of the chain, they can disrupt some things and also get a lot of information. Exactly. This is the, yeah, this is the idea. And, like, the CIA is providing no support for this. It's just, like, Pierce and Michael. And Michael's like, no, this is a three-person job. Pierce says, oh, the CIA is willing to let us bring someone on, but they need security clearance. And Michael knows a guy, Jesse. <laughs> and Jesse agrees to go... Even though, like, he hasn't had a day off since Christmas. Which it feels like just happened because we watched that video. <laughs> and it's I guess Jesse... It's always in our hearts, Chris. Exactly. And I don't know, did Jesse lose his car earlier in the season? Did it well, definitely get blown up? He, or did... did it get blown up? I know he. I they gave it to the guy during their con man. Yeah, did, like, something case. happened with it? Because Jesse needs a ride. Back? I don't know, because, like... Jesse Maybe he needs doesn't a want to ride leave to the his marina. car at the marina. Maybe he That's doesn't like want to like, park there overnight. That's like fair. So like Fee gives him a ride to the marina so that he can play with Michael and he, and Fee meets <laughs> get Pierce. A play date. Yeah. Um yeah, Fee drops him off like a mom dropping off a kid at a play date. And Fee meets Pierce for the first time and is immediately shocked and jealous, which is very confusing to me because I don't know what's going on like there's this very confusing scene in which both michael 
and Fee are being coy and talking around the fact that, like, Michael did not give a certain piece of information to Fee. And Fee is like, we know what, they both know what that piece of information that Michael chose to leave out was, but I don't. That she's hot. Is it that she's hot? Yeah. Like, he didn't, he didn't, he told her that, that he told Fiona that she was a woman and that she was his CIA contact. He did not tell her that she was hot. I guess, but like, that's a why thing would that you happens. say that's that? A, that's a trope of television like this. I know. It's assumed like, it's that also... you'll know that. Look how hot she is. Okay, Chris. here's also the thing. I, oh, I, you don't need to tell me how hot she is. <laughs> We've already had we that have, conversation. We have had that conversation. But I will say, like, she is, like, hot. I think she's incredibly hot. But I feel like she is not cast to be hot. You know what I mean? She's an attractive woman. She's attractive. That is their age. And, like, Michael works with her very closely and is now going on a Caribbean vacation mission with her without Fiona. I also, I didn't read this scene. Like, I read this more as Fee being sort of amused by how hot she is and how Michael has apparently avoided telling her. But also, every time this sort of trope comes up in a TV show, I'm always like, so what are you supposed to do? When you come home, you say, man, my new CIA handler, fucking hot. Exactly. Anyway, Fee, how was your day? <laughs> like, no, when, like, when is that going to come up? No, I feel like it's not played like she's amused, which is like, because... There's this whole plot line in this episode that's, like, about, like, with considering the way the episode ends, like, this episode seems to be about trying to maybe drive a rift between Michael and Fee? It does later, but the actual scene, like, the coyness seems almost satirical to Fee, because, like, we've seen her be actually jealous, and we've seen her be fake jealous before teasing Michael, and this felt it was played more like she was teasing him. Later on, it takes on darker colors, See, but, that's like... interesting, because I did not get playful at all. Well, she didn't. She was. She she wasn't short with him. She didn't like leave abruptly. I mean, like a, she stayed and like she's chatted. Kind with him. of. I got the read of like she was like I have to be polite, but I'm not happy about this. Oh, I didn't get that at all. I I I maybe I was you know projecting what I hoped would be a mature reaction from a woman who's who knows that Michael Weston it would never cheat on her. I know um, that's what it felt weird to me because I was like I was like they're playing this like. This is like a thing that Fee did like earlier in the show. I, I can believe. Yeah, exactly. I can believe that the show is playing it like that. I don't think uh, Gabrielle Anwar was playing it that way. She was I definitely think, like, more like. She might be know. undercutting it because I do believe that that's, that's what she's been directed to do. And I think she's trying to find the best way to do that as the character that she understands Fee to be. But like. Yeah, no, I definitely got the vibe that she was actually annoyed about it. Interesting. Well, in any case, a, an interaction happens. Seemingly no reason, but yeah, good point. I guess the whole episode is trying to drive a drive a something between our our two lovebirds. Like, oh, yeah. Um, really quickly, so we we have taken off a week in between our normal recording sessions, so we. We didn't talk last week because I was on a panel for Chris and I's old um, grad program. And when I was introducing myself, I referenced this podcast because, you know, it's something that I do. And like Why half of the comments, because I'm proud of it, bizarrely. And we have a we have 100 regular day one listeners, which is like bizarre. But like we half the you comment guys. section, half the comment section. Thank you for that. I was thank doing. you. 100 listeners. They were they like everyone was like, oh my gosh, I love Burn Notice. I really miss Michael Weston and Fiona crying face. So like a lot of people in this random panel that I was doing were like, oh man, I love Burn Notice. That's hilarious. What was that you the age group of this panel? I mean, it's a grad program recruiting thing. So like everywhere from sixties to twenties. You know, it's mm -hmm. a pretty wide, wide. Okay, group. yeah. But I just wanted to tell you that Burn Notice has fans out there. And There's that's why I Burn mention this Notice podcast love. anytime I have an audience. I mean, this ha this has happened to me before. It's just so funny because I feel like Burn Notice had almost no cultural impact, but a lot of people remember it really fondly. Exactly. <laughs> Anyways, let's so, go to the Michael, Caribbean. Yeah, Michael, Pierce, and Jesse take a boat to the Caribbean to find Steve Cahill, the guy that they're supposed to grab. And they find him meeting with a, with a sadistic mercenary named Miles Vanderwall. They photographed Kale taking a payment for a delivery of something. 
Um, yeah, they thought that they were going to be there to listen in on a meeting, but instead of a meeting, it was an exchange, which kind of throws yes. a wrench into the plans because one, there's nothing for them to overhear, and two, you know, it's over a lot quicker than they, they expected. Yeah, exactly. Meanwhile, Fee scouts the weapons company while Sam pretends to be a client touring the facility. Like, Sam asks to talk to the security team to get more info, and what he learns is that the location of the van that they're stealing, where it is, and how many guards that are guarding it, which is many many guards i kind of like a little bit it's on one hand it feels almost lazy but also it feels realistic where like the problem of like stealing this van isn't like a bunch of high-tech security things it's literally just yeah they got a lot of guards (laughs) just like a lot of dudes there you got to deal with that and the thing that they're stealing is literally just like armor piercing rounds that's all that's in the van so sam's like what we could just buy armor-piercing rounds, we don't need to steal this van. And Fee's like, no, we need to steal this van. If I know Gavin Rossdale, and I do, he needs us to steal that van. Anyway, so Michael and Jesse grab Cahill, but there's a problem. Vanderwall and his mercenaries are between them and escape. So they question Cahill, who reluctantly gives them the scoop. The mercenaries are going to take out some American outpost in South America so that a shady oil conglomerate can take over the wells on the land. Cahill had given Vanderwall files on those bases, uh, which came from a leaker in the ENSA. Pierce says that they need to get the files back, both so they can stop like the those attacks from happening and figure out who the fuck leaked. So Michael and Jesse decide that the best thing to do is to pretend to be covert ops guys who have been hired by the same company. Pierce thinks this is crazy, which makes me wonder how much of this spy stuff that's like standard burn notice stuff is like spy stuff and how much of it is just weird Michael Weston shit, you know? Yeah, I mean, well, I think that what happens is that a lot of the times that Michael is paired up with like a traditional spook is that he is so specialized that like he has more training than them. Like the 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 impression I always get is that he's mostly with like people who work actually for the CIA rather than being contractors so they have a lot more rules and like they be they, because they are used to missions with a lot more support um, they can be a lot more highly specialized so they aren't good on their feet with all the things I think that's the impression we're supposed to get is that like Michael Weston like is like an elite spy and she is just a spy that's true I also want to point out really quickly that I'm really excited and looking forward to the new Matt Nix and Fackerel uh, holiday short a traditional spook <laughs> and, and something else that I just thought of, Chris, is that remember how we're going to write a um, spec script of a Burn Notice Halloween episode? It should be called Spooks. It should be called Spooks. This show should be called... Why is there not a USA show called Spooks? I wonder if there is one. Spook it just seems like obviously there were. So there's a British television series called Spooks. It's known as MI5 in some com- countries. It's a British television spy drama series. So yeah, it seems like there would be more, but yeah. They got there. Good for them. Mm-hmm. It's from it, it. It broadcast from May two thousand two to June two thousand two. Oh, but Matthew McFadden was in it. Oh, interesting. Anyway, <laughs> so Michael and Co decide that yeah, we're gonna just pretend to be covert ops guys, but uh, in order to make it work, they have to make it so the mercenaries can't verify their story. So Jesse and Pierce torched the army guy's satellite dish. Pierce asks why Jesse works with the man who ruined his career. And Jesse says that there's free yogurt, which is cute. And this is a cute little scene. They just like get to talk. They're fun actors to watch. And it's just nice. It's a little cute scene. Meanwhile, Sam and Fee need help getting into the weapons facility. So they've enlisted Madeline to go in saying her car broke down and plant a bomb. Which like, it's a smoke (laughs) bomb, but it's still Madeline planting a bomb. Which we never see, by the way. This was a thing where I was expecting a fun Madeline scene. Right. I, as soon as they were, I was like, oh shit, Madeline's involved. And then we just cut to the next scene. It's like, no, it's more interesting. I want to watch Madeline Weston plant a bomb. I want to exactly. see how she accomplishes that. 100%. I don't know why that wasn't in the episode. They're like, no, nah, no, nah, we got too much other stuff to do. We got, we're moving. But yes, so she plants a smoke bomb, but we don't see it. Anyway. In this conversation, Madeline asks what Gavin Rossdale's deal is, and Fee says that he got her out of Ireland, but in return for her helping him with a kidnapping. Because, like, there's always a price when you're dealing with Gavin Rossdale. Anyway, so Fee goes back to the loft, and Gavin Rossdale is there with guns to help her steal the van. He's like, okay, you're going to steal this van. You're going to need some guns, right? And Fee's like, 
uh, no, I don't want to do guns because we're going to do it without killing people. She does ask for some other equipment, but like, she's like, I'm not going to deal with guns. He also is like, kind of makes an overture like, you know, you're doing this for your boyfriend. It seems like a lot of work. You know, we had a good time together. Maybe you want to like, you know, work for me a little But She's like, no, thank you. <laughs> anyway, so Michael gets some basic info on the like the company that hired the mercenaries, which mostly their name, which is the Pyramid Group, which is so delightfully like vague and fake, but also good. I like that. But this is enough so that Michael and Pierce can march right up into the camp, like just bald face, like march right up and do a pre-standard pretend to be a pissed off secret security ops guy routine, saying that they caught Cahill torching the satellite dish. And now they're going to whip these mercenaries into shape because their security sucks, which leads to Jesse playing drill sergeant uh, with all of these like mercenary guys and in the process taking away their radios and just like really drilling home that these guys suck. That is the message that Michael and co. have for these mercenaries. You're garbage. Anyway, so Michael and Pierce ask to see how safe the files are. Miles Vanderwall says they're plenty safe. And then Pierce suggests that maybe Vanderwall is a traitor and like he's going to steal them. And then everyone just kind of shouts at each other <laughs> until it's time to look at the files. However, Vanderwall wants to take all of his guys, like all 40 of his guys with him. So Michael and co. start giving all of the men different security casts to do to reduce the number of men that are going to go with Vanderwall. It's like, no, you've got to do the perimeter and like you, you've got to guard this thing and, you know. You, you gotta like man the phones. Well, the phones are down. Exactly. Still, you gotta man them. What if they come back up? Exactly. So, like, yeah, now it's just like five guys going with Vanderwall. Meanwhile, Fee and Sam, yeah. (laughs) Meanwhile, Fee and Sam distract the guards at the weapons company by using their smoke bomb that Madeline planted off screen to set off a real bomb that also got planted off screen. Like, that's like in a fruit basket or something. Yeah, I don't know what the deal is with these last two episodes and all the interesting stuff happening off screen. But like, yeah, her notice, what do you think I'm here for? Exactly. <laughs> this is a process show. I watch this show for process, not dick measuring contests. This is like a big, these last two episodes are really heavy on like masculine dick measuring. I don't care for it. I thought you liked that they were about masculinity. No, but th- yeah, no, I changed my mind about last episode and this episode is just boring on masculinity but once again a cool option like it's this could have been a really cool episode of like you know having slightly uh you know separating the party as it were and having one of them be doing like really grungy like classic burnout's work and the other ones on this like being trapped on an island having to escape that's interesting i will also say a particularly interesting early episode of the unit remember the u.s military propaganda show that i was talking about who which stars uh scott foley and the all-state insurance guy um <laughs> There's an episode where on a mission, because like, do you know what the premise of the unit is? No, but I assume there's a unit. Yeah, well, so basically it's like, it's a show about- Nothing. It's a show about like basically hyper specialized special forces guys who are like half spy, half like army people who, and they're like so classified that no one can know that the unit exists. And so the wives back home who like all kind of live near and on the military campus kind of have to band together because they can't tell even their family what their husbands do. So like the only people they can really talk to about like what it's like to have a husband doing this work is each other. And so like the show is pretty evenly split between like what's going on back at the base with the women like kind of in the real world having to deal with just like you know stuff uh and then like the man's mission which is actually a very interesting premise and i like it a lot if it weren't hugely U.S. military propaganda. But anyways, there's an episode early on where like a mission is goes successfully, but like they get made. So they all have to get back to the U.S. different ways. So like one has to go by sea, one has to go by land, one has to go by like something else. And like they basically just like split up and all have to sort of make their own way home. And it, it was very interesting to like watch the different guys like figure out a way to get home without any of their normal resources. And like, you know, the lengths they're willing to go and all of the different things that happen and stuff like that. And that could have been a cool Burn Notice episode too uh, of them like trying to scam their way off of this island while also getting the materials. But it was a boring episode where mostly people shout at each other. So like, come on, Rashad. We, like a couple of episodes ago, we were like, holy shit, Rashad Razani is like coming out as one of our favorite Burn Notice writers. You let me down, buddy. You let me down. Awesome. Anyways. I definitely <laughs> listened to all of that and wasn't checking my texts. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm definitely not applying for jobs as we're doing this podcast. Oh my god. Anyway, so Fee and Sam burst in while like the bombs are going off and get the van and go. And like Sam says that this is actually worth two months mojitos instead of one, which I believe is something that, that Michael promised Sam that he would get for doing this job. Once again, we're back to who's buying the food this week. Exactly. I did kind of miss that. It's nice to like, it is one of my favorite little burn notice runners that we haven't heard from in a while. I know. Anyway, back on the island, Michael and co arrive with Vanderwald at the building where the files are, but they aren't alone. There's a different group of commandos there saying that they also work for Jackson, who is like the big boss of mercenaries. And they say that Jackson came and took the files and never once mentioned Michael or his people, which really pisses Vanderwall off. It's like, oh, I guess y'all are fake or whatever. Vanderwall lines up Michael, Pierce, and Jesse to be interrogated and shot. Michael plays it like he just realized what was going on and that Jackson is like lying and actually trying to steal and sell the list for himself. And then the plan will go that, like, when Vanderwall executes, like, Michael and co, Jackson will use that as an excuse to kill Vanderwall. Vanderwall isn't sure, so he finds out where Jackson is and decides to take Michael and to Jackson and figure this all out himself. Mm-hmm. Although, like, something that was confusing to me about all of this is that, first of all, why wouldn't Michael just say, these guys are the imposters, kill them, we have to go find the files. It was just weird that he was like... Yeah, they also work for us. Hey, guys, what's up? But it was also confusing that, like, the whole premise is once you shoot us, they'll shoot you. Why wouldn't they just shoot all of them? Yeah, it's unclear. <laughs> like, there's so many opportunities where, like, it, the logic would break down as soon as Vanderwell asks, well, why would they wait for me to shoot you if they have us outgunned, which they do because you sent all my men off into the woods to do other things? Why wouldn't they just shoot all of us right now? It's very unclear. Like, it's not a good gambit. Like, I can a- believe a lot of the stuff they do because, like, it seems like pretty consistently across genre, the way that conning works is you're just, like, so absurdly confident that people kind of just let you do whatever. But, like, in this case, it literally doesn't make sense. It does not make any sense. The weeds of his plan are all tangled. Michael and Vanderwall arrive at Jackson's place and the security at Jackson's place has been beefed up, which... Uh, Michael says, like, ooh, that's evidence that, like, they're going to kill you. And since, like, there's all these extra guards, Michael tells Vanderwall to lie to the guard at the gate about who Michael is and not say that he's a pyramid guy, but say that he's just, like, a security tech guy. And so Vanderwall does that. It's unclear. Like, again, Michael's bluffing a lot and, like, his bluff isn't very good, but it keeps working. I mean, like, I will say this This was interesting. I like this little I like the spy tip that goes along with this. I thought that th- this was one of the details that didn't I didn't rub up against. Like, again, you know, as with most conning, like a little bit of interrogation proves that it's nonsense. But this one felt fair. Like it, it felt yeah. like like Michael, especially because the other guys didn't know him. Like, I, I think it feels fair that he's positioning himself as like uber special. So none of them would know him anyways. But if they identify who he's with, you know, that could raise suspicions. So exactly. this one I didn't mind. The other one I didn't mind it. Bullshit. But yeah. So. Vanderwall and Michael walk into Jackson's office and Jackson accuses Michael immediately of being bullshit because like obviously he is. This reminds me of like another episode this season that also kind of had this beat where like both Michael and another guy are like saying that the other one is fake. And like both times I kind of don't buy it because like uh, but especially this time like I don't know why like Vanderwall is so quick to believe Michael and not like Jackson. Like he's already bought into this and it's like it doesn't feel like we've done the groundwork to make it make sense that Jackson has bought into no, this. And, or and it was also Vanderwall interesting has. because like this guy is like the commander or something of the area. Um and I I think something that would have worked for me maybe is that like because I was expecting them to just like go in to see like another kind of militaristic dude, but this is like a skinny old man in a suit. And so I can imagine that there is some it, like if they if they knew who was like in charge and knew he was a little bit like less of like a man's man, I think it maybe would have worked that like Michael sort of leans yeah. on the like we're the men men and this guy is like he he's just a poser like he's never had to do the hard work so of course he does the underhanded spy thing while you and i are on the ground doing the real work um i think that might have you and i are like just that, rocking out with our cocks that. out 
Exactly. Like I could have seen them trading on like the masculinity argument, which kind of goes. But that's not what happened. But no, that doesn't happen. He's just like instead. By instead. yeah, um, he just doesn't believe Jackson, the guy that he Yeah, with. Jackson's like, hey, this guy's fake. Michael just like walks up, does a slow ca- clap, and says that Jackson's version of events is compelling and rich, which is a thing that Will Ferrell says in Anchorman. I don't know why Michael is quoting Anchorman here. In Anchorman, at one point, like, Will Ferrell's character, the titular Anchorman, uh, Rob Burgundy, like, is, like, talking about a new story and says that, like, the story is compelling and rich. And that is sort of, like, and every single line of Anchorman is, like, a meme. Because it's, like, one of the most quoted, like, comedy movies ever, especially, like, amongst people that are, like, our age. And so, like, anytime anyone says compelling and rich, it's, like, a Anchorman reference, which just makes it really weird that it's happening here. And, like, it feels like a weird inside joke, and I don't know why it's here. But it does make me question, like, does Michael like Anchorman? Does Michael like movies? What kind of movies does Michael like? Hmm. I bet he likes, like, nature documentaries. That tracks for me. Like, something really soothing and, like... Just just like watching a simple life. No, no, no animals have to have jobs. And we know Michael yeah. like Weston doesn't like working. So I can imagine that being very relaxing for him. Fair enough. I, I, I buy that. Anyway, so Michael's play here is basically telling Vanderwall that like, hey, if you were wrong about me being like a guy, then I fooled the shit out of you and you would be an idiot. You're not an idiot, are you? And that works? I mean, the, the, there's like kind of a runner throughout this entire episode that my mom and I, who watched this together and who have no taste, kind of enjoyed, which is the runner of like, all right, who are you going to believe? What are you going to believe that like an a, um, ultra genius, you know, managed to get in good with you or that this guy's a, j- a dick? Like and like they do that a couple of times where they're like, what are you going to believe the thing that's actually happening or the story that we're telling you? Yeah, it's exactly. Cute. It's basic and cute. But, like, that's what we look for in this kind of a show. I don't know. I didn't buy it. But, yeah, Vanderwall well, does buy it. Well, you don't buy it because the details don't work out. The bit yeah. is fine. But, like, the bit's yeah, not no. backed up by anything interesting. Oh, no, it's not. Anyway, but uh, Vanderwall does buy it. And so he just shoots Jackson. And they call Jesse and Pierce. And Jesse and Pierce arrive with Cahill. And Michael asks for the files from Vanderwall. But Vanderwall is not giving them up unless he can talk to Michael's boss at the Pyramid Group. And get put in charge of like whatever Jackson was in charge of. So Pierce makes a call to the pyramid group and a helicopter is sent. And as soon as Vanderwall and his men give up their guns, they are immediately arrested. I think does the CIA arrest people or they just murder people. I don't know. Anyway, the CIA is pretending to be the pyramid group and they get the files and everything's fine now. I mean, that was kind of a fun like reveal. I did like like, they hand over everything and they're like, all right, hey, what's up pyramid group? And they're like, actually, we're the CIA. What's up? Yeah. Like it was a fun ending, but like, I don't know. But yeah, the whole island thing did not make sense at all. It made no sense. Or once again, it's predicated on the assumption that every burn notice bad guy is a complete dunce yeah <laughs> anyway things are good for michael and pierce and jesse less good for fee fee gives the van to gavin rossdale who asks if she still wants to stick around with michael instead of doing good sexy bomb work with him and then fee says that she doesn't want to work with gavin rossdale because she doesn't want to like kill people which is kind of weird because her little clip in the intro is still should we shoot them mm-hmm. like i get that fee has kind of become the moral center of the show but, like, I feel like the show has kind of forgotten that Fee is the wild card in a way that is kind of frustrating. I feel like it's hard. You can't have someone who's, like, the wild card and the moral center. Unless you're, like, a much wilder show than this. Um, but anyway, uh, she says, I don't want to kill people. But then Gavin Rossdale explains that that van that was being stolen was supposed to go to one of his rivals. And since the van didn't go to one of his rivals, the guy was dismembered to death. And so Fee is, like, really betrayed and shocked about this. But also, like, Fee, you've killed a lot of people. And also, uh, they, uh, like, uh, they, by, like, fucking with bad guys, get a lot of people killed. And also, and I thing. cannot imagine that she took this job without thinking, like, hmm, I wonder why he wants to steal this truck. Probably not exactly. because he wishes death on his enemies. <laughs> okay. Then also, just because, like, you're kind of an arms dealer. Also, aren't you, Fee? Isn't this your, like, 
What do you think you do? Okay, here's my thing too, right? Is that like, if you wanted to, you could like talk about how this is character development, about how she used to be more amoral, but over time she's grown to be the more moral one. But I feel like that's undercut with what we learn in the next scene. Right, but before we get to the next scene, this is something that I want to say about this scene, which I'm surprised you didn't recap. Because one of the things Gavin Rosdale says, either in the scene or the one right before it, is like, do you really want to be with a guy who makes you work with guys like me? Or do you want to just work with guys like me? Or something to that effect. Which, to remind you again, Fee volunteered that she knew this person and says, I'm going to go work with him. And Gavin Rosdale seems to be implying, and she seems to be like agreeing with him that it's a bummer for Michael to have forced her into this position, which he straight up didn't do. No. So like, how is that a viable argument to be made? Like this doesn't make, this rift makes no sense. Right. No. And we're going to get to that. But yeah, she gets the info on the bomb from Gavin Rosdale and, and she meets Michael at a nice restaurant and gives him the info on a piece of paper, but she seems very not okay. And Michael, like, trying his best, asks, like, if something happened with Captain Rossdale, and she says, well, not now, but, like, you didn't ask about the past. And then she tells a story about how she and him used to be a thing back in Ireland in the old times, but then she found out that they were only introduced as payment for him killing a British customs agent, and so she's like, oh, he killed a British dude. So, like, and, like, she seems like she's, like, traumatized, and, like, that's why she doesn't like him, because, like... Yeah, like, I assumed it had more to... Uh, it was going to have more to do with, like, them being in a relationship and him yeah. being, like, kind of a shitty guy. Exactly, or, like, but it's not that. sadistic it's, in a particular way, like, usually against women feet. and children is, like, her triggers. Fee, Fiona, you were running with the IRA. <laughs> what the... F- what the fuck? And this is the thing, is that, like, if this was, like, if there was, like, an arc to Fee where, like, she used to be, like, wild and amoral, but now, like, but now you're, like, making this point that, like, she now was... now she's a kept woman. Exactly. And, like, like that's the reason that she doesn't like him, like, at the time. Like, there's not, like, it implies that there wasn't growth. You're just, like, retconning her and to have always been the, like, moral center, like, back in her Ireland days, which doesn't track with the way that you've developed this character at all. Anyway, yeah, but this like, doesn't make this whole th- this whole episode this whole is just like interesting setups, terrible execution, and it's like truly I feel like, this like a- but the last two episodes seasons or two seasons, the last two episodes of Burn Notice have been like great like set dressing, fucking terrible like detail work. Yeah, and then she's like, it seems like she's angry at Michael for putting her in this position, which she volunteered for, and again, like he seemed. Like, like, and I guess, like, she's mad at him for, like, not asking more questions about Gavin Rossdale. Or, like, I don't know, like, I, like, genuinely don't know what Michael is supposed to have done in this situation. That, like, I don't know what she's, like, and the thing is, like, it's okay for her to, like, maybe have, like, irrational feelings about this because she's, like, maybe, like, kind of traumatized due to her relationship with this person, and she's really dealing with the trauma of this other stuff. But also this other stuff doesn't make sense for her to be traumatized about that either. Like, I feel like this is an episode that's trying to be about Fee that fundamentally doesn't understand Fee as a person. Yeah, and like, it's not hard to understand Fee because they really haven't done a lot of character building with her. Exactly. So it's not a complicated like person to you know right episode yeah about. and i don't know like why they're trying to do this thing when like none of this has been set up like i don't understand like why this is the beat that we're doing like i don't know why this is happening anyway so they have this really awkward conversation and then uh madeline shows up with benny and we finally meet benny because it turns out that this is the date now the double date is finally happening and we meet benny and, like, Benny is such a Madeline guy. He's, like, just the most old white guy who owns a boat you've ever met. Mm-hmm. But honestly, uh, good for her. But good for her. No, yeah. I can't wait for Benny to, like, <laughs> be initiated into the absolute batshit craziness world of Burn Notice and have him be, like, the Bob from Stranger Things. That's what I'm right? hoping for. I hope that Benny is Bob from Stranger Things. I hope so, too. Anyway, so, yeah, and there's this whole awkward thing where, like, there's, like, a toast to the young lovers, and, like, Michael says, like, here's a toast to supportive partners, and it's, like, ironic, but I don't know how it's supposed to be ironic. Like, 
by like this whole like emotional thing is so confusing and muddled that like I don't know exactly how the irony is supposed to be working. It's like Michael roasting himself. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, because like, it, it seems thing. like it's almost biting at Fee for not being supportive of him needing to find out why he's being or, set up for murder. Yeah, or is it or it's he like, is supporting her? Right but is he? Or that he's like failed? I don't understand what this is. Again, it's kind of like the scene at the beginning with Pierce where everyone's talking around a thing and assuming that the audience knows what the thing is, but you have not set up what the thing is. We cannot, like, fill in those blanks. They think that you can, but that we can, but we cannot. You've not done this work. I don't know what the fuck you think we're supposed to be thinking right now, but I don't have a fucking clue. Yeah, this this conversation makes no sense. And like Anyway, that's how it ends. Yeah, why, why are we mad at Fee? Like, why is Fee and Michael mad at each other? Why are we doing this? Yeah, and it's not like, or it's like the supportive partner, Gavin Rossdale? I don't, I don't think so. I think it must be some kind of like, I think what they want us to think is that Michael's saying this to get her to stop being such a bummer about this thing that helped him. And he well, appreciates see, I don't that read... she put herself in a bad position. I think that's what they think it is. No, see, I don't, I don't get that at all. Because I, I feel like Michael in this scene is acting as if he realizes that he fucked something up. Like, but it's unclear what he fucked up. I think he's playing the scene like he knows, like a guy who knows he did something wrong. But he also doesn't know what the thing is. Yeah, it's it's very weird. It's so weird. I'm not a- opposed to like doing this kind of scene and like this kind of drama. But like you have to do it correctly not like in this weird muddled way that makes no sense and like no one's behaving the way that humans behave yeah i don't like both of the last two episodes feel like super underdeveloped in a way that like we haven't seen possibly ever like even an early bad burn notice there were details and broadly speaking things like made sense even if they were infuriating but like i don't know it felt like both of these episodes were too long but nothing happened in the yeah. time that they took too long about like, I don't know what is happening, guys. Like, polish your fucking script. They're also both like this week and last week are both like revolve around Michael dealing with some sort of army like group. Yeah. So that's like true. it felt like they were really samey, like watching them both in a row like we do. Like I just felt like why are like this week we're just doing this kind of same thing like twice. So like if two episodes in a row of like Michael, like talking to like a stuffy angry masculine military guy just one's kind of dumb and one isn't but also is also kind of dumb actually i was gonna say yeah which one is not dumb in your mind they were both extremely dumb but like in in one episode the guy is supposed to be dumb that's fair but, all right well uh, fuck this let's talk about spy let's, tips let's talk about some spy tips there were not a lot of great spy tips there's a lot of borderline stuff this week So let's just get into it. There's a reason that everyone from 7th century pirates to present-day drug smugglers have operated in the Caribbean. It's filled with tiny islands that are close to major ports, but outside the reach of national laws. That said- Is that true? Are the the tiny islands in the Caribbean outside of the reach of national laws? I mean, I imagine some of them are quite small, so there's like nothing on them. I guess. I don't, I don't know. We can like fact check this spy tip, but like, if it's true, it's a useful thing to know. Because the privacy that makes the islands great hiding places also makes them vulnerable. Your enemies may be able to hide from you, but you can hide from them just as easily. Is that why? Yeah, that's why. <laughs> um, how do you feel about this as a spy tip? Um, I mean... I don't know what I would do with it. I guess, like, go to the Caribbean if you want vulnerable but also easy-to-access places to hang out. Like, I don't know what i do with this information. Like, what's... I mean, I guess it's practical it, for some reason. I just don't know what that reason would be. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, if it's true, it's actually useful to know about the nat- the fact that small islands don't are out of reach of national laws. I think it, like, explains the usefulness of, like, the islands in the Caribbean specifically. I don't know. Like, I don't care that much about it. That's my argument for keeping it. <laughs> I mean, it's... It's fine. I don't care. Sure, let's keep it. 
Okay, cool. I mean, all of these are like that. Spies have long known it's a good idea to bring along a fast-acting drug when you're targeting someone for extraction. In the earliest days of espionage, that meant a rag soaked in chloroform or ether, but now it's usually a syringe of propofol. It works quicker and has fewer side effects, but shares one downside with its predecessors. You still have to get close to your target to administer the dose. That's why it never hurts to attack them from two angles. I mean, the the, the drug is useful. Yeah. Like it's, it, kind of, it's kind of a shopping trip. It's kind of a shopping, yeah. But it also acknowledges that because, you know, you, you can't do it from far away, you should probably have backup uh, coming from both angles to ensure yeah. that the dosage gets through. Yeah, I, it's fine. Sure. Cool. Destroying high-tech electronics with glorified camping equipment is tough, but not impossible. The mix of nitrate and magnesium... And a marine flare burns at over 3,000 degrees. With the right fuse, it'll turn an electrical system into a smoldering heap. Yeah, I think that's useful. And, and we also kind of see how they lay it out yeah. and how they use like their minimal supplies to do it. All right. When you're pretending to be on the same side as your enemy, it's critical to keep them from talking. The more bad guys can compare notes, the more likely that they'll second guess your story. That's why you shut down as many forms of communication as you can. It won't make you any friends, but friends are a luxury when you're trying to stay alive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's useful, I guess. Like to, especially because we see how they do it, and like yeah. we see like the the different ways that they, you know, fuck with them and make them, you know, mistrust their communications equipment and whatnot. Yeah, I think that makes sense. The quickest way to turn a security force's attention away from an outside attack is to make them think there's an even a bigger threat inside their facility. If you know which employees will be out of town, you can send a care package filled with metallic sodium to an empty office. Then all you have to do is set off the company's sprinkler system with a smoke bomb. If you do it right, the sodium will react with the water, and you've got the distraction that you need. I mean, that's actually genuinely useful on multiple counts. Yeah. It's sort of like the opposite tip of last week's army, which is instead of bringing them out, bring them further in. And then just, like, take your pick of the perimeter. That's true. Well, it's five, but we've got two more we can talk about. When you're being interrogated in the field, it's not about holding out. Field interrogations tend to be quick and dirty and often end with a bullet in the head. The key to surviving a go- is a good offense. When you take the swing to save your life, you swing for the fences. I don't think the that thing- this gives us much. The only thing that I think is, like, maybe it's a thing is that, like... I guess it kind of, it depends on what you mean by the field. The idea being that, like, if someone's taking you back to, like, a facility, then you can hold out. I think that's the distinction that might be useful. Got it. So you're you're distinguishing between the kinds of interrogations and the different strategies you will need to employ for each? Yes. I think that's the only thing that makes it something. I guess that's fair. That, like, if they just sort of tie you up and interrogate you where you are, you're clearly not important enough for them to, like, take back to, you know, confer with other people. Like, this is, uh, if you don't give us a good answer, we're just going to kill you here so we don't have to, like, deal with you in our facility. Okay. Yeah. I, it's on the fence, but, but we're yeah, already a lot of these are so kind of on the fence, and it's like, Yeah. Finally, for a spy, getting someone to lie for you serves a number of purposes. It's less about the lie itself, no matter how useful it is. It's about how it changes your relationship to your target. Once a guy lies for you, for better or worse, your fates are tied together. Yeah, this was smart. And this is something that hasn't come up before. And I I really enjoyed that. I was like, oh, that's No, I did too. I like that. I thought that was a good tip. Cool. Felt useful. All right. So that's, that's seven. That's at least five practical spy tips. Correct. All right. So we have that. Do we have spycraft over violence? Yeah, in both cases, I would say so. Yeah, no, totally. A lot of trickery. Yeah, a lot of trickery. A lot of bluffing. I guess spycraft is bluffing. Yeah. Because uh, there's a lot of bluffing this week. It, was there a memorable alias? I mean, not really. Michael no. is technically like, Michael doesn't even have a name. He's just like a guy. It's not. Yeah, anything. I was going to ask Michael. if you caught his name or anything. But yeah, I don't think he does have a name. I think he's just no. a guy who yells at this other guy a lot. Yeah, that's it. So I don't think that's like anything. So are at least two supporting characters used well? Now, Fee, does she blow something up slash get to be the co-protagonist? Um, She... Technically, she blows up the smoke bomb. She, yeah, no, she, yeah, they blow something up in the, that's true. She blows something up. I'm curious, do you think she's the co-protagonist of this episode? No, because it's not really about her. She's in it. 
But like even her storyline isn't about her because we're not revealing anything about her character because what we do reveal doesn't make any fucking sense. I know, but the thing is, like the thing that they re- the stuff that they reveal doesn't make sense. But it's clear that they think that they're revealing stuff. Like this episode feels like it wants to be about Fee, and it's not successful. But it does seem like a thing that that I think that I they're feel trying like to do. Protagonist needs to be like she has a active like participation in the main thing this episode but this episode felt like the main thing was very much still that was the other thing i was gonna say though but like also there is a decent amount of balance between the a plots and the b plots and like considering the way that this episode starts and ends i thought like there's enough that if you wanted to make an argument for it i would buy it but i also don't feel the need to make an argument about it myself and terribly yeah i yeah i don't Uh I don't Especially think since it doesn't work. Yeah, it d- definitely doesn't work. And like, it's not like, you know, but the, I think that they're Lisa trying. Joy episode where no, she... it's not. Are they trying? It's... Are we going to give them credit for trying? I think... I know, because I think they're trying. I think they're just failing spectacularly. Because like, okay. they're well, writing all this stuff. she to blow stuff. something up. So technically, this passes yeah. for me. Yeah. Anyway, did Sam get to be peak bruce campbell what did sam even do this episode he, yeah like he wasn't like, even chuck finley when he was asking them about their security details no he was just like a guy like yeah yeah he did not get a lot to do at all Mm-mm. he was just sort of there as fees backup in yeah. like a couple of small scenes uh okay is jesse a distinct addition rather than a redundancy technically yes based on your new criteria because he has a security clearance and so yeah. he is the only one of the gang who's allowed to go and like, yeah, that's something. I like Jesse being kind of a drill sergeant. That was fun. And like Michael could have mm-hmm. done that too, though. But like And I like that uh, Pierce, who is like somebody who is in the CIA, knows the story of Michael and Jesse and like the they ballad have a small of Michael conversation and about it. Yeah, the, the I liked that a lot. Michael and Jesse. Like, yeah, like they got to have that scene, and, like that's the scene you can only do with Jesse. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I'll give him Jesse. Okay. Was Madeline in this episode? Well, she was, but she didn't get to do her thing. It was oh, off right. screen. Yeah, her thing had. Of course, I don't remember her because she didn't get to do anything. Yeah, like, so I don't yeah. think that counts as gets to do. The no, it doesn't count. It doesn't. You have to show it. You don't get points for saying it's going to happen and then doing it off screen. She does have a boyfriend. She does have a boyfriend, but that's not is a that genuine enough? emotional that's... moment with another character or gets to do the case of the week. It's not. So but yeah, that's no two. Madeline. That's two that's out of two. four. So this is officially. A great episode of Burn Notice. Is it a great episode of television? <laughs> no. It's super fucking isn't. It could have been. There's a lot here that probably could have been something interesting. Yeah. Again, I, I don't feel know. Like... What, what do you think the theme of this episode is? Because like now I that have... we've had some more thematic resonance this season, I wonder if like they're more conscious about that. But like, what are what is the sort of the similarity between these two situations? Because I don't, I don't think Michael really learned anything in his. I don't know. I don't know yet what's going on. I don't feel like they're connected at all. I feel like they are trying to do a fee thing here, but maybe I don't know. Maybe something about what... like trust. Maybe. You know, like like I don't know. relationships. I don't know. Yeah, it's 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 not good. It's not it's good. It's just, yeah. Rashad, what are I you don't doing? Know. I feel like this season so far has been a lot of wasted pot- potential. Yeah, I think that's true, especially given um, how strong last season was, especially in the exactly. early year, in the in the early game. Like the first two episodes of last season were great episodes of television. Yeah, no, I know. We really liked last season and like it does and I feel like this season started off we were like kind of hopeful. Yeah, um, like, there is a like you said, there's a lot of potential, but unfortunately it keeps being wasted, which is a real shame. This is where like they absolutely could have hit their stride and for some reason can't. Next week is our next Michael Horowitz episode, so we'll see if he can who the he is the only person so far this season to get a great episode of television, so we'll see if he can manage it. But then after him is yet another Alfredo Barrios Jr. episode. Oh so, boy. Womp womp. Anyway. Well, yeah, I just I was like after last season, I was actually kind of like feeling kind of hopeful about the season, and now right? I'm. Just, like, I was excited oh. to see where it went. I don't know. I thought like, oh, I think like it's possible that the show may have peaked. I, uh, I hope not, but I also I hope- have that that dawning realization. Yeah, I hope it hasn't peaked partially because that means it's just gonna get kind of worse, but also partially because the peak wasn't that high. <laughs> no not really 
it wasn't that high. Anyway, well, with that, there's nothing else left to say but to thank Vincent E.L. for our theme music. If you want more from Vincent E.L., go to vincentel.bandcamp.com. And other than that, bye. And that's a hard out. Fuck you. (laughs) Ha ha ha!